Hello and welcome to the IntraFish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I'm joined today by Editor Rachel Mutter. And today we're going to be talking about fish meal, fish feed, and in particular, alternative ingredients. Um, alternative ingredients, novel ingredients, whatever you want to call them, have uh, been around for a long time in the fish feed sector. It just depends on whether or not you want to call them alternative or novel. Uh, fish feed inclusion in, uh, in salmon uh, feed has declined precipitously over the years to uh, now it's um, you know it's down to as low as 10% even lower than that uh, and and there's actually diets out there that are um, that are really really approaching full vegetable diets but the challenge is how do you continue to get the health benefits that you need from fish salmon in particular and uh, uh, how do you get that um, while also reducing the fish meal inclusion. So there's been a couple of recent uh, events. We've written a lot about this, but there's been a, a couple of recent webinars that have hit on this. One was uh, the EFO Marine Ingredients Organization's uh, annual meeting where uh, that was brought up with uh, several executives um, in the fish feed and meal sector, which is really fascinating to hear their thoughts on it. Um, and our own fish feed and health webinar that was just last week where we brought together experts from across the spectrum to talk about a multitude of issues. Among them was uh, alternative proteins and their role now and the role going forward. Um, Rachel, you've written a lot about this, uh, talked to a lot of the feed uh, and uh, alternative ingredient suppliers over the years. So give us a sense of where do you think the industry is with alternative uh, ingredients in feed right now? Are they ready to embrace it? And who's driving it? Just just what's your take on where we are right now? Mm, as you say, it's sort of been, this work's been going on for quite a long time, but I think it's only really in the last sort of five years or so that some really viable alternatives have, have kind of shown up. And I think that's due to sort of technologies developing um, and new companies coming into the, into the space. Um, but it's interesting because now that these these alternatives are sort of there, um, but but not at scale. I think we should point out. I think this is the big challenge at the moment. There's there's not enough scale of them, and therefore the costs of them are prohibitive. And I think I think what really comes out for me at the moment is this sort of conflict um, between the different factors that come into feed ingredients, right? Because I think. On one hand, there's this kind of NGO retail approach um, that that sort of comes at the issue looking purely sometimes from a sort of environmental perspective um, and sort of forgetting the other factors that that come into play with sustainability of feed ingredients, right? Because, because feed ingredients, um, they play different roles. So on one hand, the feed that they make up has to be functional, right? It has to make the fish resilient. It has to be attractive to the fish. Um, it has to help them grow well. It has to enable them to fight off disease and, and sea lice in the case of salmon. Um, so there's that factor, which obviously produces, for producers, that's, that's incredibly important and, and all part of the sustainability story. There's also the need for the fish to be nutritious. Uh, when they come out of the water, they feed human beings. And so the fish has to be as nutritious now as it 
always has been. And I think there's been there's been some sort of press recently that fish is kind of less nutritious now than it than it was um, maybe back in the back in the day, back in the early days of of fish farming. Um, and then, of course, then there's this bigger issue of sustainability that, that I sort of mentioned at the beginning that NGOs seem to approach um, the whole issue with, which is about, you know, the wider environment and about um, what feed ingredients do to things like fisheries or to soy plantations or to um, or what rather soy plantations do to do to to forests uh, in the Amazon and beyond. So. There's a lot of issues at play here, and I think depending on where you are in the value chain, you'll focus on a different part of those issues. And I think that's what really strikes me at the moment, that that maybe there needs to be more collaboration between these parties that are interested in, in feed alternatives, between the producers, between the, the retailers, between the, the NGOs. Um, and if there was more collaboration, it's certainly something that the feed companies have been saying a lot, that there does need to be more collaboration, then maybe then we could actually start to, to get somewhere really solid. Yeah, I, I think you're, you're hitting it spot on. I think that's what a lot of the, the um, fish meal and oil industry in particular is saying. Um, I think it's exciting when you are um, launching a new company that is, you know, based out of fly larva meal or algae or, um, you know, or single cell proteins or, or whatever it might be, that attracts a lot of attention because right now there's so much money that is ready to be deployed in the alternative protein space, whether that's, you know, full plant-based food that people eat or uh, alternative ingredients for feeding uh, animals. And it really fits right in the center of that um, that ESG focus that a lot of uh, private equity and a lot of VC and even institutional investors are really trying to look at. And the ag space is one of those. And so it's this weird disconnect, I think, between the excitement of some of these ideas uh, and the actual um, scalability, the commercial availability of it. Um, and so you'll see companies like Insect, which is a French, uh, it's, it's a French uh, mealworm protein producer. Um, they've raised a lot of money. Uh, I think in 2019, they raised around 125 million in VC money to build this massive insect farm in, uh, in northern France and, and Amiens. And it can produce 20,000 metric tons of insect protein annually. But that that is not going to actually take you that far by the time you put that into meal by the time you are providing that to um to your customers and most importantly like you said it may not be functional it may not actually be something that um that is is good for the the growth of farm fish yes uh, insects are an interesting case because um, that's something in the wild that you know um, that salmon or, or fish would normally eat. That said, being raised in a farmed environment is quite different, um, and so the nutritional needs are pretty complicated compared to what they used to be. Um, and if you've you know uh, Scredding, Biomar, uh, Cargill, the research and R and D that goes into these feed formulations and, uh, and formulations and and uh, and um, the kinds of minds that are working on this, I mean, it's advanced stuff. It's not simply, hey, let's take out uh, meal and oil 
and put in, uh, you know, and put in something else. Um, but I'm curious what you think too. You kind of hit on this, but I, th- there seems to be, you know, kind of a, a marketing problem here too. Um, and I mean on the fish meal and oil side, and and that's that when you look at these um, startup companies that are launching these new technologies, especially if they're targeting the aquaculture sector, um, almost invariably they're going to point to overfishing. Um, as one of the reasons why uh, feed uh, inclusion should be reduced. Granted, there's plenty of overfishing in the world. Um, we know that. Um, but uh, the sources of um, fish meal and oil are are roundly considered, you know, when it gets into the main supply chain, they're roundly considered to be sustainable stocks, um, with the exception of uh, um, some of them um, where politics gets in the way, like in the North Atlantic and, and Blue Whiting, for example. But I, what do you think about that marketing tack, and is that um, is that moving things down the wrong direction if these alternative feed producers use that uh, approach in marketing their ingredients to um, farmers? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think this is almost the danger of it having sort of entered this um, or entered the psyche of of. The chain, like further down the chain, sort of entered the psyche of the of the of the retail buyers and the, well, some say consumers. Although I find that kind of hard to believe, but but that's absolutely the danger because, yeah, time and time again, alternative um, feed ingredient suppliers cite fish meal and fish oil as unsustainable, and it's it's simply not true. They're just not, as you say, there's there's, there's exceptions to that. But but in the large part, they are sustainable. Um, and it's just that they're limited. Um, and if aquaculture is going to grow, then we need to find other ingredients because you, you, there's no more fish meal and fish oil to be had, basically, from the sea. So so that's the point. But but absolutely, um, I think there's some skewing of messaging here. Um, and there's a danger that those sort of those highly invested in sort of sexy alternatives. I can't believe I'm calling insect meal sexy, but <laughs> <laughs> he said it um <laughs> may may sort of change the conversation in a way that isn't constructive because that isn't constructive um, and i think something that came out of our recent webinar was that sort of um that contrast between what what the sort of technical um the technical guys were saying from the feed companies and the and the aquaculture companies were saying there was a sort of a frustration that the conversation was sort of being turned that way because it's not it's not actually very helpful. Um, I mean, and what I kind of found interesting too was was we we had a we had a buyer on from um, co-op, and she was saying that this had become a very hot topic amongst retailers. Um, feed ingredients, which which I found kind of interesting, and she said that was being driven by consumers, which. Um, yeah, which I find surprising. I I don't know many consumers who think about what fish is being fed, but maybe I hang out with the wrong people. Um, but yeah, but yeah, but that's 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 dangerous ground to me because it's not ready. It's not ready for that exposure, and it's not really ready for those people to necessarily enter the conversation with that kind of force, um, because it's still at a stage where there needs to be some actual viable alternatives, and I think. They, they aren't there yet. They're not there yet. And, and the time and the money should be spent on actually researching them and, and finding those realistic solutions rather than trying to fend off sort of bad marketing stories and whatever, if, if you're really, truly going to make feed sustainable in the future. 
Well, it's it's really interesting because um, what you're saying is that essentially the marketing that um, some of these alternative producers are doing is a little bit self-defeating in a way because, A, there's not enough of it. Um, but But for the retailers, let's say you do get consumers interested in um algae fed salmon um there's not enough algae fed salmon out there um and if you get you know these things can they, they, they can take hold in consumers minds um there's no reason why new novel uh you know feed concepts and new ways of producing food are are there's nothing bad about that and and that's going to be developing really quickly but as you said i think it's the 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 marketing of a product that doesn't really exist yet is a little bit of a danger. And I think that attracts, like I said, a lot of investors coming in that get excited by the idea. Um, Retailers too can get excited by the idea. Um, And then they can go back to feed suppliers, back to farmers and say, yeah, we want more of this algae fed uh, salmon. Well, you know, that's, that's not easy to do. Um, it's it's yeah. not it's not that Here's simple. A kilo. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So I think that is um, that's maybe there's a little bit of a false promise uh, among the uh, among some of the alternative supply uh, ingredient suppliers and their efforts to lobby the retailers with a um, a more sophisticated marketing message. Because I think, mm. all due respect to to BMR and Cargill and Scredding. I think that um, some of these alternative protein um, folks are very sophisticated in their marketing and in their messaging. And um, I think there tends to be a lot of, um, you know, there's an entrepreneurial mindset, maybe younger people that are a little more uh, digitally native and maybe can, um, you know, it just, it fits into what um, consumers are moving toward. Um, the idea of the circular economy, but at the same time, I think there has to be uh, some way to pull things back a bit. I, I know Efo's been really banging the drums, and I think I think it's a real frustration for for Efo and some of the fish yeah, meal and sure. oil producers because you know there has been there there are sustainable stocks out there. There is excellent research being done on. Um, on making the use of fish meal and oil more efficient. And just the fact that there's so much less inclusion than there used to be. Um, that That is what's really shocking is I don't think there's a real understanding or at least there's not, um, at least it's, it's not discussed um, just how low inclusion uh, fish meal and oil inclusion has become in aquaculture over the past several years. Um, it's really, really impressive what's been um, what's what's been accomplished. So I, I just think it's it's more difficult because you know fishing uh, still makes a great punching bag. It's so easy to, to um, in the consumers' minds to think about overfishing because it's already there in the ether. Um, but um, and it's very difficult once that's in a consumer's mind to then. Uh, you know, to, to dial that back and say, well, actually, it's the these specific stocks are in really good shape, and these ones aren't. That is, that's asking a lot of consumers. So I think I think there is a responsibility by um, maybe it would be retailers to really start to um, you know kind of kind of um, 
explain that a, a bit better when it comes to farm fish? Because if people are aware of that and focusing on that uh, more, if consumers are, like you said, I don't know many that are, but I suppose they're out there, um, th- then they should be getting all the information they need, not just part of the story. Yeah, because I think, as you say, it's there's, a, there's another battle being fought here, and that's that's sort of a bigger battle really in the in the consumer marketplace and that's getting people to eat more fish and i think it's it's very dangerous therefore to sort of start telling these stories as you say about the unsustainability of marine ingredients in fish feed because yeah there's a danger when there's no when there's no real alternative at any scale um that people just stop eating fish and then that doesn't it's not really great for anybody whether you're a, a producer a fish meal supplier or a, an alternative feed ingredient supplier so I think you know this had to be tr- trodden carefully and as you say it's sort of the the responsibility of the retailers probably if they're going to start getting involved um, to tell that story responsibly uh, and with full explanation if it's something that they're going to start broaching you know I sort of think it's a dangerous thing even to be broaching in the consumer environment but if it's if it's already out there I guess it's already out there so yeah yeah, and I think there's, you know, there there are groups like Marine Trust that are, you know, focusing on, um, you know, on integrity of the supply chain and being able to, um, to help deliver that, that certainty to the, um, to the retailers and to the producers. Um, so there could be some headway being made, you know, on, on that front uh, as well. Um, but I think again, the whole notion of sustainability is, it's, it's something that. Um, you know, I, I think over the years too, just in our time covering this sector, sustainability has evolved. Um, I think my own understanding of sustainability certainly over the past couple decades has evolved, um, where you begin to see that sustainability is is really rooted in um, uh, in finance as well, right? That, um, for example, trimmings and byproducts. So. Um, that to me, the the more efficient, uh, more thorough use of trimming and byproducts for meal and oil, that's great. That is sustainability, is full usage, full utilization. And I think sometimes that I know it's techie, you know, the the whole the term full utilization. Um, but to me, that has much more bearing on sustainability um necessarily than than some of these other elements is it you know that that should be a a, a place of focus there's by 2030 mm. um this is from efo study by 2030 30 of the world's fish meal is going to be from trimmings and it was about just a little over 20 percent in 2018 so that's really really impressive and fish oil is even higher yeah. it's like 45 percent yeah. by 2030 so, um, so that's kind of, that can get lost in the sustainability messaging and, and I don't, you know, I don't know how, how the fish meal and oil industry goes about, um, you know, pushing, you know, pushing that message because it is complicated, but I, I do wonder if maybe the retailers, um, or the feed producers maybe should, um, think a, a bit about the quote unquote branding of, uh, fish meal and oil. Is there a better way to highlight that in the mind of the consumer? Um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I've heard some incredible statistics around what could be done with all the all the waste products from fish processing um, that just isn't that isn't done at the moment. And it's I think it's a lot to do with logistics and um, someone actually putting that all together and and the cost of it. But but yeah, I mean, 
absolutely as you say it's sort of just not quite as cool is it i think that's part of the problem and investors don't therefore look at it in the same way as maybe a you know a millennial run <laughs> insect feed company it's yeah yeah but it's yeah it's it's something and I, and I think the feed companies are definitely they've got their head screwed on with that and i think these are all things that are on their radar but again it's it's making sure that they're not forced down a channel um, by the sort of retail and consumer environment that that isn't the best one, isn't the most cost effective and isn't the most sustainable. Um, because, you know, cost comes into play in this too. You, you're trying to you're trying to produce a product that's affordable and, that, and that's part of the sustainability argument too, as you say. Um, so I, I'm not sure how much consumers, I mean, sure, consumers want algae-fed fish, but how much do they want to pay for it? And I think, yeah, yeah, the, all these things come into the conversation and it, it has to be, a line that's trodden very carefully going forward. Yeah, I remember, uh, I believe it was last year, um, which was a lifetime ago, but it, it seems like it was 10 <laughs> oh, years. Year. It seems like it was 10 years ago, but actually it wasn't. Uh, in our New York Seafood Investor Forum um, in, in May 2019, um, and Teresa uh the Scredding CEO and our person of the year this year, um, she, uh, she was talking about this very issue and, and, um, I think it's a little bit, and, and this came up in our, our recent webinar too. It's a little bit like who, which of us is going to pay the costs, you know, it's like, everyone's like, well, I think you should, I think you should, I think you should. Yeah. So, I mean, that becomes a big issue because, and, and I think what she was getting at was just what we're, what we're talking about, that there is this momentum um, it makes me the the way she was talking about it, and the way that um, you know some of the other f feed producers talk about it, and the way that they're experimenting with this. It's clear there is pressure. I don't know if that comes from retailers or where that's coming from. I don't think it's coming from the farmers, um, but but that pressure to produce more sustainable feed, and however you identify that, um, that that as you said, comes with a cost and it has to be born across the value chain. Um, it can't simply be one person or, or another. Um, and that, that will be a challenge as well. Um, and you mentioned earlier the Amazon um, and soy. And I think that's another thing that, uh, and this is happening in plant-based seafood as well. And we won't go down that rabbit hole. That'll be for another podcast. We've talked about it before and it's always fun to talk about, but I won't go down that rabbit hole. Um, but there, there is, um, there's a, there's a real, um, sustainability case to be made, um, a negative sustainability case to be made about vegetable ingredients too, that I think, um, makes this all such a complicated issue, right? Because you could say, yeah. well, don't eat any more fish and you know, the oceans will, will be teeming with fish. Um, okay. And then you're going to get your proteins from land, from plants that has a whole, whole nother set of issues with it as well. So there's no perfect solution. Um, I think the Amazon, uh, issue, the deforestation, uh, uh, that's happening in the Amazon to grow soy has been a really good case in point of just how, um, you know, how, how the, the issue of the vegetable ingredients is some, it's quite overlooked until it kind of blows up in producers' faces. And it certainly did blow up um, over the past year. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm sort of glad that that whole soy thing came up because it had become a very sort of singular conversation against um, 
against marine ingredients and in fish feed, I think, as you say. And then suddenly we we see that that soy actually has its own um, very big sustainability issues in certain parts of the world. Um, not that all soy is unsustainable, but but certainly some of it is. Um, and I think with the sort of political issues in Brazil at the moment, too, that that's looking to be even more of a problem, even more sort of illegal um, or not illegal soy, but unsustainable soy in the value chain. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's added a whole different dynamic to the conversation, as you say. And it's not as simple as fish meal and fish oil are bad and any other ingredient is good. It's not like that. And then, you know, what then comes into play is sort of with any other ingredient, there's there's other sustainability issues. And while it might not be deforestation or it might not be overfishing, it could be the amount of water it takes to grow something or, you know, so it's it's so complex. Um that at this point it's probably best left to the experts rather than us all weighing in with our sort of with our with our strange sustainability ideas um it's it's never quite that simple yeah so just just from your conversations um what what are you feeling that the industry what what sector or what what ingredients do you think the industry is kind of most embracing right now or, or sees the most promise in? Is there any, has there been any sort of feedback from the executives that you've talked to about which ones they're most excited about or which ones they see? Yeah, that'll scale. We'll, we'll see that in, you know, 10, 20 years. No, no, actually. And that's the interesting thing. So, so anytime I ask um, a feed executive sort of which one is, you know, is the one you're most excited about or which one has the most, um, the most potential in, in your mind, they they definitely shy away from giving me one answer because I think it's simply not at that stage yet. No one is producing enough at scale. And I and I when I spoke to Teresa uh, Scretting, um, I think she sort of mentioned that it, it's probably going to be a combination of several different ingredients. It, it might not ever be, you know, this is now the source of, of essential omega three fatty acids in fish feed. Um, it could be numerous different things, but but they don't know yet. I think that's what's clear. Or if they do know, they're not. They're not saying. Um, yeah, no. There's a whole. There's a whole range of products out there. Not one of them yet. I think has proven itself to be the one. You know, not one of them is yet affordable, or not one of them is yet functional enough. Or you, you know, it, not one is fitting this sort of multi-criteria that that's needed to actually be a sustainable alternative going forward. So. Yeah, it's very interesting. They're, they're putting their eggs in a lot of different baskets, these um, these feed companies. I think that's what's obvious. Um, so, yeah, so we don't know yet. Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to watch, and we certainly are doing a lot to cover it because there is a lot of development um, and a lot of investment going into it. So, all right, well, let's leave it there. Uh, I'm just going to do a, a quick plug for our uh, Interfish Seafood Investor Forum. Uh, we will be hosting that December 1st and 2nd. We're really excited about it because it's our favorite in-person event. Um, and so we were really disappointed to, to not be able to do it earlier this year. But uh, our events team is a fantastic group of people. And they're going to be helping us put on a, a great event over the course of, of two days on December 1st and 2nd. Um, so uh, it is um, obviously not going to have the same uh, meet and greet uh, wonderful aspect of our usual events as we as we like to have. However, 
Uh, we do have a great lineup of speakers. Uh, we've already just rattling off a few. Some of the ones already committed. We have Amy Novogratz from AquaSpark, Tortalsis from Neptune, uh, Brighton Shang from Aquabyte, Ohad Maimon from Kingfish, uh, Christoph Baldegger from Bonafide, Colborn Giski-Odegord from Columbia Salmon, and much, much more to come. So you can go to intrafishevents.com and you can register now. It's already, uh, it's already open for you to sign up. It's free to attend. Uh, so please join us. Um, we've really uh, enjoyed uh, these webinars and it's going to be some, some fantastic discussion. So we'll be hitting on a range of other topics, uh, all related to financing and investing in the aquaculture sector. So join us for that. And remember that you can find us online, intrafish.com, 24-7, thanks to Rachel being in Asia and our team in Norway and London and here in the Americas. So we always have our eye on seafood, aquaculture, and fisheries uh, news. You can drop us a line, editorial at intrafish.com, if you have story ideas or things that you want to tell us about, uh, rants, raves, etc. So thank you, everybody, and we will speak to you next time.